today we're finishing the story. So bring you up to speed, context here. Paul is in Ephesus, and there in Ephesus, this amazing thing happens. This, this revival breaks out, okay? Revival breaks out in this, this region of our world where um, superstition runs supreme, okay? Um, I mean, rabbit feet everywhere, right? Like the whole deal. Like, I mean, just lucky charms and all that good stuff. I mean, Ephesus was known for their religious practices, but also their, um, uh, you know, they're just so superstitious in everything. They had a goddess that they had set up, and it was, uh, no, there's two different thoughts on this. Um, Artemis is her name, but she was also, that's a Greek name. The Roman name was Diana, okay? But there is another thought that there was another goddess named Artemis that was more of the Ephesians worshipped her. What does it matter? Not that much. They worshiped false gods. That's the point. A meteor fell from the sky, and they're like, hey, we should design an image after this because it kind of looks like a woman, and, uh, and we'll worship this rock that fell from space. And that's how it started, okay? There's your history lesson uh, on their, um, their false god, Artemis or Diana, which is why I was going to call it Dirty Diana, you know, the Michael Jackson song, I know. Um, you're like, that's not appropriate. Well, it's... She's not, do a Google search. Um, this, this idol that they had set up is highly inappropriate. Um, just, my goodness, you can imagine the garden features, right? There's water fountains with this lady, and it's just so, so disturbing. Anyways, uh, I'll tell you why later. They worship this. Now, all the people, because, because of just some weird things that were happening, unusual events were taking place in Ephesus, Paul's sweat rags were being thrown onto people and they were being healed from their diseases and demons were being cast out of them. Like literally these things were happening. It wasn't anything Paul was doing and it wasn't anything the sweat rags were doing. There's no power in sweat rags and bandanas and prayer cloths and things like that. There's no power in those things, okay? The power comes from God. Now, if he wants to use a prayer cloth to heal you, He's more than willing. He can do that. And you're like, but that doesn't line up with, my, with what I believe. The, the, the sweat cloths? I mean, does that line up with what you believe? Like, the Lord works in mysterious ways. And sometimes it's just a point of contact. It's a point of faith. If I can just touch, we talked about this last week, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. There's nothing magical about Jesus' garment. It was the one who was wearing the garment. The lady didn't have faith in his garment. She had faith in the one wearing the garment. You see what I'm saying? People that were getting healed by these sweat rags, it wasn't that they had faith in Paul or faith in his sweat or faith in, they had faith in the one that Paul served. So that was going on. There were also, we were informed yes, or last week about these uh, traveling exorcists, okay? Seven sons of Sceva. They went door to door. Um, you got any demons? Um, do you call Ghostbusters? And they're like exercising demons, okay? Until they show up to this one, and this demon just flat out calls them out. He's like, I know Jesus. I know Paul. But who are you? Who do you think you are? Trying to exercise authority against me? And he beat them up, and they all ran out of the house naked, okay? That more than likely, was the catalyst that caused this revival to explode. Because that story circulated all around in, in the city of Ephesus. And they're like, but it wasn't the, the, the failed exorcism. It wasn't those guys who were just trying to make a buck and using the name of Jesus just to earn money for themselves. It wasn't that they got beat up and ran out of the house naked. It was the fact that God is moving in our city in weird ways. And you can call it that. It's unusual. It's weird, dynamic ways. And everybody got together and then they, they just hosted this like this communal bonfire and they're, they're burning all their magic books and, and all these things. They're, what they're doing is they're, they're being done with the past. They're making a bold proclamation. I don't need this anymore. My life, my past has been so connected to this thing Whatever that thing is in your life, they would take that thing and they'd throw it in the fire as symbolic, just a symbolic way of saying, I'm done with the past. I'm moving on with Jesus. And they burned it. 
And we, we saw that anywhere from a million to five million dollars worth of books and, and probably other things that were thrown into there, little trinkets and stuff, they, they burned all of that stuff. And this revival, the name of the Lord grew within the city. The word of God grew within the city. It had a, just a powerful effect and lives were being changed and transformed. The city was turned upside down. And that's great. That's a great beginning. That's a good beginning. You ever watch a movie and it just starts off really well? And you're like, this is going to be a good hour and a half of my life. Well, movies now are like two hours long, which are just ridiculous to me. But I can't sit still that long. But now it's like, but you watch it and it starts off good. And then by the end of it, you're like, really? That's how it ended? Really? I say that because when you look at, when you bookend Ephesus, the start and then you look at the finish. The finish of Ephesus is not the letter of Ephesus. The finish of Ephesus is revelation. And you look at the end of Ephesus and you're like, really? That's how you ended? And you, you can even just pull up, just do a Google search on, on the city of Ephesus now, and you can be like, I think that candlestick, I think that lampstand got removed from your city. You may have started great, and it's exciting, and all this stuff, and the feelings, and, and the, you know, book, you know, burning, and just being done with the past, that's beautiful, that's perfect. But it's kind of disappointing if you don't finish well. It's kind of disappointing if you don't finish well. Now, this story, and I, I'm, all, I'm just setting you up, because where we're going to end up is in Revelation at the end of this thing. Because I'm just studying through this, I feel like that the Lord just pressed that on my heart to end with Revelation. Now we just finished Revelation, so it'll be a good a good reminder for us. But but look at look at the drama that happens within the city itself in Ephesus. Okay, verse uh, I mean verse twenty one. Okay, this is just to give you a, a heads up of what's going on inside inside of Paul's heart and his mind. Okay, it says afterward after this revival, this huge epic revival is is taking place. Afterward, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go over to Macedonia and then to Achaia uh, before going to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go to Rome. This is setting the theme uh, really in the flow for the rest of the book of Acts. Paul going to Rome, okay? Before he gets there, he, he, he does have to make a trip down to Jerusalem. He sent his two assistants, Timothy and Erastus, ahead to Macedonia while he stayed a while longer in the province of Asia. So Paul's going to hang out basically in Ephesus for a little bit longer. While he's here, you can note this, um, while this is going on, he is, he is writing the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, technically, he wrote three letters to the church of Corinth. Okay? One is not canon, so we don't have that. Um, but then the, first, the letter to 1 Corinthians happens during this time period, okay? Now, we're not going to go through 1 Corinthians because it's just too big, and we need to dedicate some time to that. Um, we can't just, I can't fit that into Acts because then we, by the time we come back to Acts, you'll, you'll be thinking, wait, we were in Acts? Yeah, I'm like, because 1 Corinthians is going to take a long time. But just so you know, chronologically, this is when 1 Corinthians is written, when Paul is hanging out in Asia Minor, Okay. So he sends Timothy and Erastus away. He's hanging out there. So around this time, while Paul's there, it says, about that time, verse 23, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. This is Christianity. This is another uh, you know, way that they describe it. They, they call it the way. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis, or is she known in Rome as Diana? Your, your Bible translation may say Diana, but it may say Artemis, okay? And both are right. Both are right, okay? So he makes these silver shrines to the Greek goddess of Artemis. Now here's his problem, okay? As he's making all these things, he says he kept many craftsmen busy. So he had some subcontractors that he worked with. He calls them together along with the others employed in similar trades and address them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. But as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods are not really gods at all. 
this is a problem if you're in the business of making idols, right? He's like, um, our books aren't looking so hot right now. Uh, since this guy has shown up, our business is tanking, and this is a problem. And, and Demetrius is, he's bringing in all these guys, and let, he's, he's just communicating to them what is, well, what, what is factual. But what I want you to understand is, this is not Paul's fault. It's not his fault. Now, he was used by God, but this is all God's fault. Okay? Now, Demetrius, if you've got a problem, we'll take it up with the big man upstairs, so to speak, right? But he doesn't believe in that. So you've got to identify. He knows, like, this guy showed up proclaiming this message, although we don't have any account that Paul actually said anything against Artemis or Diana. Did he? Probably. But there's no account of that, all right? But he's, gonna, he's shifting the blame all onto Paul. And he's, he's letting these guys know. He's like, look, your, your paychecks aren't looking that great recently, are they? Well, neither am I. So we got a problem, and we need to address this problem. Uh, so he, he goes on to say, you know, our, our wealth comes from this business, but you see what Paul has done uh, in this message he's proclaiming that handmade gods are not are really gods at all. And, and let me just, a little side note on that. Um, if you make your God out of your hands, what are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? You, yourself, yeah. Your talent, your creative ability, and you shape it. But no, it's, it's a reflection of this. No, 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 no. If I, I, can't, I can't fashion or form God nor should you ever try to fashion or form anything that looks like God. I mean, number one, you're going to fail miserably, okay? Now, I understand art. I appreciate art. I love art. I'm a big art fan, okay? Love the stuff. Um, but trying to depict who Jesus is and maybe who the Holy Spirit is, who God is, and all that, man, I don't, I don't mess with that. Why? Because you're, gonna, you're not going to do, do him justice. Just paint a beautiful, scenic picture. And even in that, you're just saying, like, look, look how awesome God is, right? Because that's, look at his creative ability. I'm just going to reflect that. I'm not going to try to form or fashion some, you know, this is what he looks like, I think. No, 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 no. Not going there. Just, you know, just create something that looks really cool and artistic in that sense. These guys are, they're, they're building these little silver idols of Artemis. And this is, uh, they, they fashion and form this, this goddess-looking thing, um, and this is how they make their money. But he's saying, he's like, look, he's like, he's, he's going around telling everybody that what we make is not a real God. Okay. He's done this not only here in Ephesus, as the verse continues on, 26, but throughout the entire providence, all throughout Asia Minor is, is the accusation. It's not just in our town, but he's known for doing this everywhere. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public uh, the loss of public respect for our business, as he goes on to say. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess worshipped throughout all the province of Asia and all around the world, will be robbed of her great prestige. So, is it all about the money? Well, by and large it is, because there's a law of first mention, I think, right? So it's like, what's most important? Usually it gets mentioned the first, okay? It's like, guys, I'm going broke, <laughs> um, you know? Oh, and side note, uh, he's really not doing us any favors with our goddess. She's gonna lose prestige. She won't be as revered as she once was. Now, this, um, the temple of, of Artemis is a, is a, it's a fascinating structure. It's been labeled as one of the seven wonders of the world, okay? Um, amazing, and I, I can't remember how many columns. I had it all. Um, it's probably notes somewhere else, but somewhere around like 100 or so just pillars, columns, surrounding this, uh, this temple that they, that they built in Ephesus for Artemis. Um, people will go there, and, and, you know, lots of quote-unquote religious activities were happening there, uh, this really was the hub. Ephesus was a, a special place when it came to Artemis or Diana worship, okay? This was like the hub of it, all right? So they had the temple, and you know, that's, where, that's where the trinkets are selling the most. I mean, you got the temple, so everybody is coming in because Ephesus is a, a major port city, 
So people are coming in and going all the time. So they're going to stop by the temple, buy a little, Ar buy a little you know, Artemis statue, stick it on their dashboard, and then feel like they're smooth selling from there, okay? Um, but these guys who run this business at this amazing temple, and, and some of it still remains today, actually. Some of the columns are still, um, you can go there. You can go to Ephesus today, and, and you can see, uh, but it's in ruins now, but um, some of the columns are still standing today. It's fascinating. It's amazing. Um, one of the seven great wonders of the world. And these guys, it was in their town. They're like, dude, he's ruining everything for us. He's ruining everything for us. And not just us, but he, he's like ruining the reputation of our God. And if this goes on, our God will not be respected or revered anymore. If in that realm, if you have to come to the defense of your God, you might want to rethink your God. Now, I'm all for defending your faith. I don't have to defend God. God exists. He does not need James to defend him. He doesn't. Now, we should all give an, a, you know, an account for what we believe in, and you should be able to defend what you believe in and give, uh, give an account for that, to be able to tell people and explain to people, no, this is what I believe. This is why I believe it. This is who I believe in. But I don't have to come to the defense of God in that sense. These guys are like, their, wall, their, their backs are against the wall, and they're like, we got to do something or she's not going to make it. That right there just tells me, but your faith is in something. If your faith is in something that can't last on its own, is it worth putting your faith in? Because if I don't exist anymore, you know who still does? God. And he still moves and he still goes. And if none of us exist anymore, you know who still does? You know who's still active and moving? God is. God is. That he lets us be a part of the story, it's amazing. It's really cool. That you, get, you have opportunities to share your faith with and to tell how awesome he is and how great he is, that's amazing. That's the coolest thing. But God doesn't disappear when we stop believing in him. He's not the boogeyman. But that's how we think about him sometimes. Well, if I don't, no, he never go, he doesn't go away. Alpha, omega, beginning, end, all-powerful. Let him come to your defense. Let him defend you. It, there's a lot that, that's within this little story. I mean, that, that's just so fascinating. Um, just in its totality. What I think is worth noting is the fact that even before this, this riot's about to break out, um, the Christians of Ephesus were just living out their faith. They were acting out their faith. They didn't start any, like, stuff of like, hey, you know, we're going to go around and, you know, public protesting and, and all this stuff or, or anything. Like, they just lived like Christians, and they acted like Christians, and they did things that as the Holy Spirit moved upon them, they, they acted upon those things, and they, that's why they got rid of the stuff that connected them to their past. It wasn't because anybody was signing petitions or, or somebody's walking through the street and letting them know and protesting. It wasn't, it was the move of the Holy Spirit. And that's what, that's what changed this city. And that's, that's what had such a tremendous impact on the city is that believers moved by the Holy Spirit took action and made life, personal life changes themselves. They didn't have to go around and say, hey, I'm doing this, so now you need to do this too. Well, it wasn't like that. It was just like, man, I, I just I received this gospel and the more I, I'm learning about Jesus and the more I'm learning about God, like, I feel like he's, calling, he's telling me I need, I need to make this distinction within my life. We call it holiness. And I, I want to get rid of this because it connects me to this past and I don't want to be connected to the past anymore. And I want to, I'm going to do this. And so I showed up, I started my own little fire and I'm throwing my own stuff. And then so and as the Lord's moving on their hearts, they're showing up and they're getting rid of all their stuff because they're compelled to do so. That's how it should be. 
That's how it should be. You can't, and we talked about this last week, you cannot force revival. You cannot schedule revival. You can't do that stuff. It starts in your own heart. And it starts as a move, as God is moving within your own heart, you personally take action. Now, that fire that starts in here might catch in other people's lives, but it's only because they're seeing you do something radical and for Jesus. The opposite of that is what we end up with the townspeople. Because you have, you have this guy, Demetrius, He's losing money. All these guys are losing money. The respect and reverence for their goddess is, is diminishing. And so what are they going to They're going to take to the streets. They're going to protest. They're going to rile up everybody. To what? To think like we think. To think like we think. And I, there's just a stark contrast between the believers who are like, look, I just, the Lord's moving in my life and I want to, I'm just going to, whether you do it or not, doesn't matter to me, I'm going to do this. Where you're going to see in this riot scenario, people are showing up and they don't even know what they're doing. They have no idea what they're doing. It's a mob mentality. But it all starts here with Demetrius and, and he's got this little meeting going on and it's all in like, we're losing money which I, I, look, I understand that. That's a cause of concern for anybody. You're losing money? Yes. But hey, Demetrius, you're probably a pretty skilled guy, right? It seems like you've got some talent. You can form a little piece of silver into this multi-breasted goddess. That's what she was, okay? Again, there's your garden fountain feature. Like, no, thanks. Um, pass, right? You can make this little piece of silver into that. Well, can you not do something else with that? Are you telling me that's all you know how to make? Are you telling me you can't take a step back and say, you know what? What if, what if this Jesus thing, what if it's right? What can I do with this block of silver that would glorify Jesus? And I wouldn't be losing money because obviously I've invested into a sinking business. But that's not where they're at. And I get it. I mean, I understand. I, I get it. But this is, this is causing them to, I mean, they're going to go overboard. Verse 28 says here, it says they, their anger boiled. And they began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, or great is Diana of the Ephesians, as yours, yours may say. Again, it's the same thing. It, it's the same thing. It doesn't matter, okay? But they begin shouting out this group of guys, these merchants and these you know, these skilled laborers, they're like, they're so angry at Paul and that he would, he would do this to them. They're taking it as a personal attack, you know, for themselves personally, but then also for their goddess. And they, they begin to shout, great is Diana, great is Artemis. And they're just shouting this out. And it's going to catch. It's a different kind of revival. It's a whole different kind of revival. Verse 29, soon the whole city was filled with confusion, of course, because nobody knows what's going on. They're like, what are all these dudes shouting about? Like, what is that? What's going on? So everything's in confusion. It says, everyone rushed to the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and uh, Aristarchus, uh, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia right? So they're like, maybe they can't find Paul, but they're like, well, we know these two guys are hanging out with them, so let's drag these dudes into this, uh, to this theater. Um, is that picture still available, Greg, of the, the theater on that slide? Just to give you guys a visual, this is, um, yeah, here you go. Man, look how beautiful this is, right? My goodness, that, that's literally in Ephesus. That's a theater that, more than likely, this is where it happened at, okay? This whole theater scene. You're overlooking the nice little hills there. The, the coast, it's just right there. It's green. It's beautiful. Let's all book a ticket and let's go hang out and do a tour of this region of the world, please, okay? Um, this theater could hold anywhere from 20 to 30,000 people and they packed it out for this one story. So, I mean, you can see like... I mean, and here's what's so amazing about these structures. You can be down there on the stage. You don't need microphones. You don't need microphones. You can just talk and everybody can hear you. We did this when, uh, on one of our tours of Israel. 
uh, I think it was in, I can't remember where we were at, but um, we went to one of these types of theaters <clears throat> and our tour guide said, okay, you guys go up into the seats, you know, pick any seat, go up into the seats. I'm going to stand down here on the stage and I'm just going to read the Bible. And we could hear everything that they were saying. It's amazing. It's brilliant. So awesome. So there you go. You can imagine, like, these seats are packed out with people. And there on the stage is our two individuals, Gaius and, um, what's the other guy, Aristarchus. Uh, they've been dragged out there because they, they're associates. They're guilty by association, okay? They're like, we've seen these guys hang out with Paul. Let's, uh, what's the plan? What are we going to do? Well, they want, they want justice, okay? So they got their traveling companions. Verse 30, though, Paul was there, all right? Paul was there. Somewhere there, somewhere around there, he was there. Maybe he was backstage. We don't know. But it says Paul wanted to go in. He wanted to go in too, but the believers wouldn't let him. Some of the officials of the province, uh, of the province friends of Paul's, also sent a message to him begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. So he's, he's aware of what's going on, and it is his desire to go in, to go into the, mad, the madness he was eager to defend the gospel. I love this about Paul because, you know, we read that and we're like, oh, you know, these guys are looking out for Paul and that's probably good. And Paul's like, I don't care what they're going to do to me. You tell me I got twenty to 30,000 people as an audience? Yes, please, let me on stage so I can share the gospel with them, so I can clarify to them what's happening in this city because there's been a disconnect, there's a miscommunication that's happened, and I want to clarify with them, this is the gospel. This is why so much of your city has turned, has been turned on its head. But they wouldn't let them in because they were afraid that they would just tear them apart. And maybe they would have tried to, but again, Paul didn't care. He had this boldness of like, I don't, well, what are you going to do? So you kill me. Fine. I'm with Jesus. You don't kill me. Fine. I'm sharing the gospel with 20 to 30,000 people. There's no losing in this story, as far as Paul thought, as far as he was concerned. But some of the officials and some of his friends are like, no, 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 Paul, that's madness. That's madness. And I think Paul even addresses in the letter to 1 Corinthians, uh, where he talks about being spared from, from like, uh, like animals, okay, in one sense, to paraphrase that. They weren't going to let him go in. They didn't want to let him go in. But, I mean, the scene is just, it's madness. It's chaos. And everybody, I mean, they're just shouting like, great as Diana, great as Artemis. It's just, it's insane what's happening here. Look at verse 32. Inside, the people were all shouting, some one thing and some another. Everything was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. I love that. Luke's like, this is like a little note of like humor. As Luke is making a note of this, he's like, half these people didn't even know why they were there. Like, great as what? Who? What, what am I here? Well, I just got swept up in the mob mentality. Half of them are great as Diana or great as Artemis. The other half are shouting something else and nobody knows what's going on because it's mass confusion. Why? Because, we're, because this is a, um, you know, stirred up by Demetrius and these guys, they're mad, they're angry, we get it. But they are reacting to this revival that has happened within their city. They're not taking time to investigate it themselves. They're not, Demetrius takes probably no, no opportunity to go and find somebody whose life has radically been changed and say, like, tell me what's going on. Demetrius, what we know, never took any opportunity or time to go find the Apostle Paul, who was there living in the city and say, hey, can you please explain to me why you're bankrupting my business? No, no, no. Oh, no, no. We can't do that. Let's just stir up. Let's get a crowd. Let's get a crowd. Let's get a mob. Let's go marching through the streets, shouting all kinds of stuff, and nobody knows what's going on. And by the end of this, it's all for nothing. It's all for nothing. So you look at like the first half of the chapter, it's like, that's great. This revival, life change, transformation, beautiful. The world side of it, it's a mob, it's confusion, no one knows what's going on, and it has no effect at all in the end. It's all for nothing. It's all for nothing. 
I mean, they're, they're just going nuts, and, they're, and it, it gets crazier. It just gets crazier. But so is they're like trying to figure out like, wait, why, why am I here? I, I don't, how did I get, why, what's going on? Why are we here? Is, this a, is there a play? Is there, is there like a soccer match? Like, what, what are we doing here? And they're like, I don't know. I don't know. We're just shouting stuff. I don't, that, that's just what we're doing. It's this crowd mentality. You remember it. Just read through the, the story of the crucifixion of Jesus. I mean, it doesn't take much, but you get some people to stir up trouble within a crowd, and then everybody loses their mind. You go from like, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, you know, and all this stuff, like, they're praising Jesus, and then in a the matter of days, they're all like, crucify him, crucify him. And it only took a few people to stir up within that crowd to change that tone really quickly, and that's what happened for Jesus, Right? So we get it. We see that even today. You got people that assemble and they're doing peaceful protests. That's fine. You have the right to do that. Do it if you want to. Stand for something. Oh, whatever. But you get a few knuckleheads that get in there and they can turn it around real quick, can't they? It's like, for what? For what? A good lesson for us is, you know what? Just keep your eyes on the Lord. Why don't you live like a Christian? Just live like a Christian. Please, just live like one. You can go and protest stuff all you want. My goodness, just live your life like a Christian. Show them what Jesus looks like by your deeds and your actions and your life change, okay? It's going to speak way more than any sign we're holding or anything like that. I'm just saying, okay? You want to stand for something? Stand for something. By all means. I, I, we can agree to disagree on some things that we want to stand for and all that stuff. That's, that's fine. That's a side issue, Stand for stuff, but I, I would say live for someone. Live for Jesus. Let your actions speak louder than your words. Good lesson for, especially for us Christians. Because we tend to, we tend to look a lot like the riot at times, if we're honest. We can easily go towards the riot side of things, if we're honest. Right? The church has been guilty of that, for sure. But we want to be like the first group. We're, we're just so moved by the Holy Spirit that we're just, man, we're, we're surrendering stuff and we're letting them move through our lives and we're letting that witness have an impact on what others are seeing. So I, hear me out. I don't want to belittle marching and all that stuff. Know what you're marching for, please. Please. Know what you're marching for. Know what you're standing for. Um, but live like a Christian. Live like a Christian, okay? So these guys, it, it just gets crazier and crazier. Verse 33, it says, the Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander forward and told him to explain the situation. He motioned for silence and tried to speak, but when the crowd realized he was a Jew, no, this turns really ugly, um, they started shouting again and kept it up for two hours. Two solid hours of great is Artemis, great is Diana at the tops of their lungs. They're not just like, hey, hey, wave, okay, oh, it's coming back, okay, another wave, and yeah, great is Diana. It's not that. It's like shouting for two hours. And that gets stirred on simply because a Jewish man was pushed to the front. This is a little bit of anti-Semitism just because he was a Jew. Oh, he's definitely got to be part of the problem. That fired him up even more. That's crazy. That's insane. There's a lot of hatred in that, in that part of the world for Jews. It, racism is nothing new in our world, ladies and gentlemen. It's been happening for thousands of years. Thousands of years. And in every case, it's wrong. In every case, it's sin. I mean, the Bible is as clear as can be that to hate somebody because of their ethnicity is sin. It's sin. It is sin. If you don't believe me, just read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. I don't care what the church of the past said or did. They were not accurately reading or interpreting the Bible. They were sinning. And I've read from pastors back in the day where they try to use Scripture to, to justify racism. And they are sinners. And they were wrong. And they were wrong. But you can't change the past. You have no control over that. You have control over this moment right now. What are you doing with it? Love people. Love God. Love your neighbor. Pretty simple, 
right? Pretty simple. We don't get to define who our neighbor is, by the way. You don't get to define who your neighbor is. God has defined that for you. And it's everybody. <laughs> and it's everybody. So there you go. Um, but because this guy was a Jew, they're like, I mean, they just explode. They're like, no, this guy's part of the problem. And they go for two hours. Great as Ar Ar Artemis of Ephesians. Great as Artemis of the Ephesians. Two hours. Crazy. Now, it's not that far-fetched because there used to be a time many months ago where you could show up to a sporting event and you could shout, great are the Texans, you wouldn't do it too much, but great are the Texans for two and a half hours, or the Cowboys, or the Saints, or whoever, or the Astros. It's, it's not that far-fetched, right? These guys were passionate about Artemis of Ephesians, right? Okay, now, you know, just if you love sports, that's fine. That's fine, but let's balance, right? You know, it should be way, way more like shouting and praising Jesus than the Texans, okay? I'm just saying, like, just, I'm just saying. There's got to be balance within our lives. Um, we should be more excited about Jesus than any sports organization in this world, okay? Or band or whatever, right? More, more of Jesus. These guys, two hours, they're just, they're shouting it out. I mean, they are causing a ruckus, right? Verse 35, at, the, at last, the mayor, is New Living Translation, that's what I'm reading out of. Yours may say um, one of these city officials, okay? Uh, city official, and that's actually not even a, a good translation, okay? Um, mayor is, is good. Chief executive officer, officer is technically what we're talking about here. This is the man. And when this guy shows up, everybody listens. When this guy begins to speak, Silence. This guy's in charge. He's the boss. He's the man. He's the man. So at last, the, uh, and I'm going to say it, the chief executive officer was able to quiet them down enough to speak. Citizens of Ephesus, he said, everyone knows that Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of the great Artemis, whose image fell down to us from heaven. There is what you get like the, you know, Falling from the sky, the meteorite, right? Or meteor, okay? It should fall down from the sky. They actually have this in a museum. It could be it. It could not be it, but it's a black stone kind of thing. I don't know if it is or not. I can't, I can't tell you dogmatically that it is or not. It doesn't really matter, but a rock fell from space, and they were like, oh, we should worship this rock, <laughs> right? That was, that was the logic, okay? And, that, and we, don't, we, we can take this, and then we can form a bunch of these uh, images of Artemis, this uh, goddess of fertility, that's the multi-breasted, or I have seen some that say it's multi-egg hanging off of her body, but you look at the picture, you're like, those are not eggs, okay? Um, and again, what? Uh, so, but we'll build these statues, and we'll put them all around the city. Okay. But he's like, look, you guys know the gods of the heaven selected us to house Artemis. He says, since this is an undeniable fact, you should stay calm and do nothing rash. He's like, calm down, people. Which, of course, is just code word for, like, get more excited, right? It never works in my house. Like, like hey, calm down. Calm down. Right? I got, remember, we got teenagers, okay? Um, so I think if I use reverse psychology, it might work because it works for our little one, all right? I tell her, I don't want her to do something. I say, hey, go do that. And she, she doesn't do it, right? So maybe that'll work with my other kids. I don't know. I haven't, haven't tested that theory out, but probably not. But um, I know saying calm down doesn't usually work, but this guy's like, look, everybody relax. Everybody relax. Stay calm. Don't do anything rash. He says, you have brought these men here, but they have stolen nothing from the temple and have not spoken out against our goddess. He's like, they, we, you don't have any, any account of them saying anything. And in fact, we don't either. Again, remember, we don't, there's nothing that's stated that said Paul spoke out against Artemis at all. But this is what Demetrius stirred up. This is how he got the mob going, was that he said, no, this is what Paul is saying. And that could be based on a lie. Paul may not have said anything about her. But all it takes is one little lie to turn 
to turn a whole, you know, a whole city upside down. No, but they said this. But is it true? Have you stopped to actually think if, and do your own homework to see if it's actually true? Well, but, it, but if, if it wasn't, all these people wouldn't be here. Well, oh, I don't understand if you know how people work, okay? Because people can get fired up over a lie in an instant. So before you go marching, you might want to do some homework and say like, well, what's this about? Is this true or is it not true? You're watching, hey, elections, that's happening pretty soon. You're watching debates, don't bother. They're not that great, okay? None of them are good, okay? They're not. I listen to debates all the time. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't care who's winning, who's losing is the American public just simply because of this. These debates are horrible. I'm like a debate guy. I love listening to debates. And I'm like, and I'm, so I'm totally impartial. I'm not for, I'm not, a, I'm not, you guys know my deal. I'm not a Republican and I'm not a Democrat, okay? I'm just not. Right? I don't pick sides. I don't, I'm not doing that. I will vote and I will vote based on character and what they stand for, all right? That's it. So I'm watching as just an impartial guy. I'm just laughing through the debates. I'm like, these are bad. They should really get, put these guys through debate class. I'm like, what is going on here? Like, no, you can't. No, that's, who's this moderator? And both of them, I'm like, who would, do you not know how to run a debate? This is, it's so maddening. I laugh. I spend my, most of my time laughing at it because I'm like, this is insane. This is insane. I think maybe that should be part of the requirement. Have you gone to debate class? Have you done that? You'll be speaking in front of people. You have to answer, you actually have to answer questions at a debate. I don't know if you guys know that, but you have to answer questions. That's part of a debate. And I'm like, well, whatever. Um, Ugh. Can, can November come any quicker? Please, like, let's get this thing done with. Um, anyways, um, so this guy, he's, he, he steps in, and he's like, listen, we have to stay calm. You are going to get us in trouble, is what he's saying. He's like, you know the truth. If you believe in Artemis, then why are you worried about Artemis? You believe she's your goddess? He's like, what are you doing, right? So this is coming from the, the chief executive, executive officer of the city. He says, he goes on to say, he's like, look, and this guy's super logical and, and very practical. He's like, they haven't stolen anything and they haven't spoken out against her. If Demetrius and the craftsmen have a case against them, the courts are in session. The courts are open. You know the drill. If they've done anything, you know, against you or against your business, he's like, well, then take them to court. Sue them. The courts are open. Now, they're not open now because all you knuckleheads are in here. And probably some of his court officials are in there. And he's like, hey, you guys need to get back to work. We got jobs to do. He's like, the courts are open. They're in session. The officials can hear the case at once. Let them make uh, formal charges. And if there's any complaints about other matters, they can settle in, in a legal assembly. We can do that in civil court. We can take care of that in another court. We know how to handle these things. And this is not how we handle things. This is not acceptable. This is from the mayor of the town. He's like, this is not acceptable. You know better than this. You guys are overreacting. And you're going to get me in trouble, is what he's saying. You're going to get me in trouble. He says, I'm afraid we're in danger of being charged with rioting by the Roman government since there is no cause for all of this commotion. And if Rome demands an explanation, we won't know what to say. Then he dismissed them and they dispersed. They would lose their freedom. They would lose their freedom. Because being within uh, the Roman Empire, they, had, they were allowed certain freedoms. Now, if you don't know how to handle your city, if you don't know how to control your people, then those freedoms get taken from you. And so this guy, as he's in charge of this city, he's like, hey, hey, can you guys please settle down? Because we're about to lose our freedom over this. And why? And why? Give me a good reason. Did they rob you guys? No. Uh, okay. Dudes, does anybody actually have a factual account of them speaking against Artemis? Did you? No, no, you didn't? No, you, you said, no, he didn't? Oh, no, I guess not. He's like, well, what are we doing? You're wasting time. Now, I'll tell you this. This pronouncement from this mayor 
It's probably the most damaging thing to Christianity that happened. Give me Demetrius. Give me a mob. Can handle that all day. But when you have the government coming alongside saying, hey, 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 hey. Don't mess with the Christians. And he reports back to Rome and says, no, 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 this Christian movement thing, it's respectable, it's fine, let them be. And all like I said, I'm all for religious freedom. Don't confuse me, don't, don't miss out. I'm absolutely 100% religious freedom. But what we know from history, because Rome would eventually become a quote-unquote Christian nation, what happened to Christianity? became very apathetic. Boldness was taken away from it. Witness was taken away from it to a certain extent. There's no, not that we want to live in fear. I don't welcome persecution, but we know persecution produces power. We know persecution can cause growth. It's how the church was born. And we know everywhere along the stop, Paul has been, there's been persecution and the church has grown and it's thrived in the persecution and it's overcome the persecution and it's become stronger as a result of it. But when the government steps in and says, hey, 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 just let them be. Just let them be. Well, what happens? Well, I'll turn to Revelation. Ephesus was a great church, no doubt about it. Ephesus was a great church. A tremendous church. Did great things. Started really well. Had a good middle. But it seems as though the end of it didn't turn out all that well. And this would be a caution for us. Because the thing that I'm warning about when I mention the government stepping in, what I'm, what I'm cautioning every single one of us about is comfort. I want you to be aware of comfort. God has not called you to be comfortable. All right? This might be, this may go against what you normally hear. Because it seems like a lot of what gets preached at times is, once you know, you, you need to be comfortable. You need to find that, you need to live out that American dream. And I would say, no, you don't. I would say, no, you don't. Own a house, own a white picket fence. Cool. Whatever. Fine. Praise God for that. But that's not the goal. That's not the goal. There's a danger of being comfortable when there's no threat, when there's no pressure, when all that stuff is taken away. Christians will naturally become comfortable. And when you're comfortable, you are not that effective. How can I say that? Because I lived that way for so many years. Because I lived that way for so many years. That was my story. You guys know that. When I was a youth pastor, towards the end of that deal, I was so comfortable. We were so comfortable. I didn't worry about anything. And not, I'm not talking about worry in that sense of like, well, you're like, good, you're being biblical. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about I had no concern for anything. We, we, had, you know, we had the house. We had insurance. We had all the stuff. You have it so good that you really stop thanking the Lord for what he's given you. And you have it so good that you stop praying to him and asking him and really relying on him because you got it figured out. Because you got it figured out. And then as a pastor, you can show up and it's like, I can preach out of this thing with putting minimal effort into the study and prepare, preparation for this deal. Why? Because I got it figured out. Because I'm comfortable where I'm at. Warning, warning, warning. Those are dangerous things. Comfort, in that sense of the word. Now, following Jesus and allow him to take care of you, there was comfort that comes with that. The Holy Spirit is the great comforter. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the sense of ineffectiveness. Why? Because there's nothing. Because why? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? You show up to church. You could bring your Bible to your workplace. I'm sure you can. You can open it up and you can read it. And what? Is somebody going to yell at you? Probably not. Well, unless you're wasting time on the clock, then don't do that because don't be a bad employee, right? But you can, I could carry this book around anywhere I want to. Nobody's going to say anything. That's a freedom. That's an amazing freedom. That's awesome. 
But when we get these things, we oftentimes take them for granted and we get lulled into this sense of comfort. And there's no, you know, I, I, go, I only go to God when I'm stressed out about stuff. And it's like, is that how it's supposed to be? I don't think so. I don't think so. And see, that's what I was challenged with within my walk with Jesus. I was only going to him when I was freaking out. I was only going to him when I was stressed out about something. Rarely was I going to him and being like, hey, Abba, Papa, I want to spend some time with you. Why? Because I wasn't, I didn't, I was comfortable. I wasn't pressed into those, those places. We end with Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. Write this letter to the angel of the church of Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. That's Jesus. Stars could be the messengers or the representatives or the seven churches. We've, we've been through Revelation before. It says the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, and that for sure is the, the seven golden lampstands represents the church, the seven churches that all get a little postcard from Jesus. He says this, this is from Jesus to the church of Ephesus, okay? Now you can, you can apply this as a historical thing and to a specific church thing and all that. I'm talking about to the church of Ephesus, okay? We know we can apply it that way. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. This is a great testament to the church of Ephesus. You keep on going, and that's brilliant. That's amazing. However, I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. You've forgotten your first love. You've forgotten me. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works that you did at first. And we kind of remember, if the, it's the first. It's the first one that church first got planted back in, with Paul in Ephesians chapter 19. More than likely, yes, remember the revival that took place then. Remember how he captivated your heart and how he moved within your life. And you were just doing things out of response to what he was doing in your life. Remember when you surrendered to Jesus. You remember that, right? You remember how good it was, right? Well, where are you today? Where are you today? This is what Jesus is telling the church of Ephesus. There's a remedy. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a remedy if this is where you find yourself because this is where we find ourselves at times. There is a remedy for this. It doesn't have to end in disaster. It doesn't have to be a bummer of an ending of the, the movie, so to speak, a disappointing end because there is a remedy. He says, turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I'll come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You've hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious or who is an overcomer, I will give uh, fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. The remedy is it's repentance. It's repentance. What, what we see with Ephesus out of Acts chapter 19, and we'll move on from that city, um, I, th I think it just, it creates this thing of like, when you, when you see, and then the letter to Ephesus, and it's a beautiful letter, it's an amazing letter for sure. But then you get to Revelation, and you, like I said, do a Google search on, on Ephesus right now. That port's, nobody uses that port anymore. It's in ruins. Where's the church at? Where's the church at? It's a very practical warning and practical lesson for you and I. Do you remember when you first surrendered to him? Do you remember what that was like? And you don't have to have the feelings and the, the, all that. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about, do you remember what that was like? You're just consumed with that excitement and that this newness of life. And newness of life is going to produce fruit and all that stuff. You remember what that's like, and then it's good to do a checkup every so often. Where are you at now? Have you forgotten him? Have you forgotten your first love? If you have, 
The good news is this. He's still there. He's still there. And he said, hey, don't worry. Just own up to it and come back to me. And you avoid, you avoid what, what happens. And I think Ephesus serves as a, just a good practical illustration and example for all of us Christians today. You could start off strong and start off good. That's brilliant. That's amazing. That's cool. But where are you today? Where are you today? And the same could be said of our nation. You could start off good. Where are you at today? It's not over for our country. There's a remedy, and it's called repentance. It's not over for the church in America. We, we've seen some high spots. It wasn't that long ago you had hippies getting dunked in the, in the Pacific Ocean, and it was happening all across this nation, but this Jesus movement was happening. Where are we at today, though? We can't live off of that story. Where are you at today? Where are you at personally with the Lord today? If you need to just say, you know what, Lord? I have drifted. I have wondered. I have walked away. Lord, I'm sorry. I want to come back to you. And you know what he says? I've been here the whole time. Come on. Come on. But Lord, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Come back. I'm right here. Let's finish what we started. Let's finish what we started. Let's run this race together. So that's, uh, that's what we want to do. We want to finish this race. We want to finish this race. I don't know your story. You know mine because I get up here and I get to talk a lot and often, weekly, okay? What we want is to finish well. That revival that happened in Ephesus, you want to see that happen again. You want to see that happen again. What happened in the 60s and the 70s, we want to see that happen again. I think we are seeing spots of that happening again. But for you and I, it's, it's, it's this thing that starts here. It starts here within your own heart. So let the Lord do, what, do the work that only he can do. Um, Man, and just stay focused on Jesus, guys. Just stay focused on him. Don't get caught up in this and get caught up in that and swayed by this crowd or swayed by that crowd. You stay focused on Jesus. You follow Jesus. Just follow him. And the things that he cares about, you will care about. And don't be surprised when he opens up doors for you to be able to walk through those things and to, to actively participate in those things. Let him orchestrate it. Let him... Let him give you those burdens. Don't just go running out with the crowd just because everybody else is doing it. That's nonsense. Follow Jesus. Stay focused on Jesus. Love him. Love people. There you go, right? So I'm going to pray because we're out of time. Um, hey, you want to take back this card now? Um, no, just kidding. <laughs> I always go over. What are you talking about? Um, I'm trying to get better. It's cool. Um, but I'm going to pray. And, and I, I really want to... I, I want you to leave with that question. Where are you right now with Jesus? Where are you with him? Don't feel bad if, if it's not as good as it once was, because it can be better than it ever has been. Okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. I thank you so much, Jesus, that you have never given up on us. There is nothing that impressive about humanity in that sense, Lord. Um, we've done a really good job of uh, destroying your beautiful creation. Uh, Lord, we do a fantastic job of destroying each other. And it, seem, and it is somewhat natural for us to, um, to hate. Lord, that's why we need you. Because we know, Lord, I, I hope we understand that True love is supernatural. And Lord, we need you. I, I, we want to love our neighbors. Absolutely. Lord, but we want to love them the way that you want us to love them. We want to be passionate about the things that you're passionate about. We want to be burdened for the things that you're burdened for, Lord, so to speak. But we want that to come from you. So I pray that you would continue to work on our hearts, Lord. 
Help us out within our walks with you. I, I pray that if anybody does feel far away from you, Lord, or if they've forgotten their first love, I pray, Lord Jesus, just that in this moment today, Lord, that they would just stop and just, just own it. And say, Lord, I, I'm not, we're, we're not good like we once were. So I, I pray that, Lord, you would do that, that work within the heart of, of anybody, Lord, including myself, Lord. None of us are, are above that, of drifting away. So we, we trust you with that, Lord. Uh, I pray that you would do your work within our lives and within our hearts. And I thank you for, for the ones that you have been working in their lives, Lord. And their relationship with you today is better than it ever has been. And I thank you for that, Lord. And I thank you for the reality, Lord, the truth that, that our relationship with you, whatever state it's in right now, Lord, can be, can be greater than it ever has been. So we, we pray for just a, a growth in our, our relationship with you, Lord. Thank you so much for um, this, this country in which we live in, Lord, and I do pray for our nation. I pray for elections that are coming up, Lord. I, I, pray, that, I pray that people would, Lord, just lay hold of this freedom that they have to vote, and Lord, and just get out there and vote. Exercise the freedom that other, other countries, they just don't have this right. So I pray, I mean, we, just, we trust you with whatever happens, whatever the outcome is, Lord, we know that you're in control, you're in charge. And Lord, we, we, just, wanna keep, we just wanna keep running this race, Lord, regardless of who, who's elected, Lord. We wanna keep running the race that you've set before us, Lord. So we thank you for that. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. And thank you for raising from the grave, Lord. And thank you for saving us. And we just pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.